are. Well, welcome back, or I'm back, or something. I don't, I don't know what's happening here. Um, hey, we've been a church for about three months, three or four months, just several months. And uh, if, if this is your first time, we're so glad you're here. Uh, and you're kind of getting in on the ground floor of something. And uh, there's not a lot of times in our lives where we can say, like, we were there when things got started. And so uh, obviously we're still figuring out some stuff and and we're getting better every week, uh, but we're so glad that you're here and uh, there is just so much great stuff in store for us uh, this year as we get going. And so um, our heart really is to help people get connected uh, and experience God no matter what their background, no matter what their baggage, no matter what their experience with God is, no matter what they believe. And so um, if that's you, whether you, this is your first time ever in a church uh, or you've grown up going to church, uh, we just want you to know like you belong here and, uh, and we, uh, there's a lot of amazing things coming up uh, for us as a faith community in 2021. And so uh, I really believe with all of my heart that together as a faith community, we can impact this valley and together we can reach our friends and our family and our neighbors. And so um, one thing that I wanted to point out before we kind of dive into the scriptures this morning um, is in your seat somewhere, I have one. No, I don't. Yeah, I do. In your seat, there's a little card that just says, come and see. Would you just take a second and grab that? Uh, if there's not one in your seat, there's one near you. Um, and, and here's the deal. Um, we, I, I, just, I, I believe that what happens here every week uh, is incredible and life-changing. And, and the reason I believe that is because I talk to people every week who are experiencing that. And so um, uh, we're not asking you to do something huge, but we all have one person that we could just take this and go, hey, I found something that I think that you would like. I love it, and I think you'd like it too. Why don't you come check it out? And so would you do me a favor? Would you take this, uh, just put it in your purse or your wallet or your pocket, put it somewhere where you're gonna take it with you, keep it with you. I keep a stack of these in my car. Uh, I'm not a huge like invite everybody guy. Uh, I just don't have that. My wife will invite anyone. She can talk to strangers. She can talk to anybody. I'm like, nope, I really need to like be feeling it. Like I'm, you know, like we're connected before I invite you. And so whatever your personality is like, um, but we all have one person that we could go, hey, I found something I love. I think you'll like it too uh, and invite them to come. And so you don't have to take five of these. You don't have to take 10 of them. Just take one of them and, you know, and, and it's golden. Pray over it and just be like, boom, God, as I give this to them, you bring them to a place where they can experience God. That no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, we just want you to know, like, you, you belong here. And, and that's honestly one of the reasons why I'm super excited for our first Discover tonight because uh, it's really a chance for us to kind of grow individually and grow together as a faith community. And, and so I just want to encourage you, like right off the back th- bat this morning, like to, for this to be the year, like, like we spent kind of the last 10, 12 months pumping the brakes in all kinds of areas of our lives. And I know that in, in large part, like some of that stuff is, not, is still not, we're not through it. And there's still some very real realities that we're dealing with in our life. Uh, but I also think like that God is really wanting to us to move forward in a lot of areas. And so uh, I just want to encourage you, like if you've been holding back, if there's been something that's kind of been, you've been stuck in an area that this, you know, that we would not use the events of 2020, we would not use the events that we experienced in the last 10 or 12 years, or 10 or 12 years, 10 or 12 months um, uh, to, to kind of disengage, but we would re-engage our hearts and re-engage our lives. And because when, when the, the, the normal that we knew changed, a lot of us adapted in some ways and we didn't adapt in other ways. When, when things shut down, like some of us, some of us shut down, right? And, and in some ways we got stuck 
But, but we stand in a moment, I believe this with all of my heart, of unprecedented opportunity for the life and the message and the love of Jesus um, to, to impact our world. And so I just want to encourage you to, to step into that, uh, to lean in, and, uh, and let's see what God will do in our church together this year. So uh, my wife and I, you heard me talk there at the beginning uh, of the offering time. We've been married for 25 years, and we met in, in 1987 when I was 12 years old. And, and we've been together since 1988. And, uh, you know, I, like, as much as a 13 and a 14-year-old can be together, like we were together and so I, I couldn't find a picture of us from 1988, but I did, uh, I did find us um, here together in 1990. And yeah, look at, there we are. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Uh, if you're under 25, that's the way everybody dressed in the 90s. Um, it, was, it was a really dark time. <laughs> uh, uh, no, that was actually our very first, I was a sophomore, I think, uh, and that was our very first kind of homecoming um, dance. We, we went to a private school. They didn't have dances. We weren't allowed to dance because dancing um, is, you know, forbidden. I don't know. I don't know why. But uh, so we would take pictures and then have a banquet. Uh, but that, that, was, that was from 1990. So, but even after all of these years, like honestly, I, and, and you can ask her, it's not just me saying this, we are still absolutely like crazy about each other. Uh, but the truth is like, we couldn't be more different. We're complete opposites, so much so that, that we both believe, like if we'd have met later in life, you know, like later in high school or even college, like there's zero chance we would have ended up together uh, because we were just so different. Like we needed all of that time to kind of grow up together and build a foundation for a relationship. And, and, and one of the small ways that we're different is that she's very structured, very organized, likes everything to always be planned out Anybody like that? Anybody, any of the structured, planned people? Oh, like anybody married to somebody like that? Okay. So she's, she's fine with spontaneity as long as it's scheduled ahead of time. Like we're just at, at exactly noon, we'll be spontaneous. I don't know what we'll do, but that's, that's, it's going to be right at noon. Uh, but on the other hand, I tend to thrive with no structure and no organization or no plan. Like let's just see what happens. Uh, any, anybody, anybody like me? Where are my people at? There we go. Okay, a few of us. Uh, the, the number one conversation we have had in our household that is the weirdest conversation to me, even still the, to this day, is virtually every single Saturday that we've been married for 25 years. At some point during the day, she approaches me and says, what is your plan for the day? And I'm like, I have no plan, I will not be making a plan, there's no way I'm having a plan, I, I never, why are you asking me this? I haven't had a plan in 25 years, I'm not about to start making a plan. But if you look at her spaces, whether it's her closet or her drawer or her desk or her car, they're all very organized and super neat and super clean and they don't even look used half the time and she hangs clothes in a really, really like, annoying way where they're like organized by color and you know they're all hanging the same direction and length and you know alphabetized by brand you know I don't know maybe not but they're they're all like but all of my all of my spaces on the other hand are shall we say a little less organized like and and if you're here and you're going well I mean kind of halfway of one and if you're not sure which one you are maybe or you maybe just you're in a little bit of a denial about which one you are um you can tell which one you are pretty, pretty easily. And that is 
just look at the backseat of your car. If you look at the backseat of your car, it's going to tell you everything you need to know on whether or not you're the disorganized or you're the organized, whether you're the super, you know, anal or you're the one that just doesn't care. Because in the back of my car, I got pizza boxes and church signs and hats and gloves and everything that I could possibly need and, you know, some stuff I really don't need. Um, But uh, raise your hand if there's some space in your life that's a little bit cluttered. Could be your desk, your garage, maybe your closet. See, the, the truth is, is that God made us all different. And some of us are organized and kind of obsessed with clearing out clutter, and others of us are kind of perfectly comfortable with messy spaces and organized chaos. And, and, and while it can be a little bit annoying for those of you that are organized, um, when, when it comes to our physical spaces, clutter isn't necessarily something for us to be super worried about. But when our relationships and our finances and our schedules are so full and so chaotic that there's zero margin for error, that there's no room to breathe, that's, that's actually when we start getting into trouble. That, that's when something's wrong. And, and here's the thing that I've noticed about life and people is that no matter what your personality is like, when it comes to the exterior of your life, when it comes to you know, the, the, the spaces and places in your life, whether it's your closet or, or your car or whatever, like or whether you're structured or organized or whether you're unstructured or disorganized, it really has no bearing on whether or not the interior of your life will actually get that way. Whether or not your heart and your mind and your soul is cluttered or chaotic or stressed out or overworked or underrested and pushed to the limits. I, I, I was thinking this week and, and I jotted down a few ways that you can know if this is you or not, where, where may, maybe you've allowed you know, the margin of your life to kind of get sucked away and there's just no breathing room and, there, and, there's, and, and you're just kind of overwhelmed and overbooked and all, all that stuff. And, and so I jotted this down. If the only time you're alone is in the bathroom, uh, anybody, any parents ever experienced that moment where you're in the bathroom and the little hands are reaching under? Yep, yep. And if you don't have kids, your cat reaches under there, whatever, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and so if the only time you have alone time is in the bathroom, if it takes you more than 15 minutes to fall asleep because your mind is racing about the things that you didn't get done or, or you're just so focused on what's coming up tomorrow and the things that have to be done, if you think of being stuck in a little more traffic than usual as rest or downtime, you're, you're, probably, you're probably a little overstressed. If you go to check your email really quick and you're still there an hour later, if you can't remember what you ate the last couple of days. You're just like, I don't, did I eat? I don't know, what, what, what did he eat last night? If you were so, ever so preoccupied while you were driving somewhere that when you arrived, you had no recollection of the drive or how you got there. Has that ever happened to you? You're just like, how did I, did I just operate a vehicle the last 30 minutes? Because I have zero recollection of how that happened. If you find yourself jealous or angry when someone else is actually enjoying their life. If you are watching Netflix, but also at the same time endlessly scrolling on your phone, or you constantly text during meals, or you learn about the kind of day that the people that you live with and care about, about how their day went, and you learn about that from social media, that's probably, it's probably a sign that maybe there's too much going on in your life. Now, the truth is, it's really easy to find ourselves living without any extra space in our life. Right? It's the norm for us to kind of settle into a routine that really lacks any 
kind of rhythm of rest, any space to breathe. The problem is, even when we have a moment to pause, we can't escape that kind of nagging anxiety that says, isn't there something else I'm supposed to be doing? I experienced that through the holidays because my kids love to, to play games and do puzzles. And, and, and so, you know, they're really on the, this kick right now where we play this game called Pickwits. And, 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 you know, it just takes a little bit of time, especially when there's little kids involved. And I just, sometimes we're sitting there and they're just trying to figure things out and I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? In my head, I start like getting this anxiety, like I could be actually accomplishing something. See, like when you have that sort of sense that isn't there something else I'm supposed to be doing? Is it, can't I actually be productive right now? Now on top of it all, like it actually got worse this last year, not better, even with everything being shut down because now we have distance learning and homeschooling and we're all working from home and we all discovered that when you work from home, you're never actually not at work. It's always right there, right? You're either working on what you should have already done or you're worrying about what else you should be doing instead. And, and the truth is like we, it's easy for us to kind of console ourselves and, and just be like, well, this, just, this is just the way life is, right? Like everybody lives like this. Everybody lives from one sort of emergency in their life to the other, which is true, right? In our culture, like we brag about how busy we are and how long our to-do lists are and how tired and trashed we are and how hard we work and we hustle and we have side hustles and we go 24-7. I heard somebody say recently that we do 25-8 and I'm like, I don't even, what, what does that even mean, right? And, and we do it all because those that win take hashtag no days off. And if we're honest, for many of us, and in fact, for most of us, our lives are overcommitted and overextended and overbooked and at times, we're just completely overwhelmed. And the truth is, just because something is normal, it doesn't mean that it's necessary, and it certainly doesn't mean that it's noble or, help, or, or helpful or healthy, right? That there's, there's got to be a better way. And the truth is, is that there isn't anything new about this kind of experience, right? There's actually this key moment in the scriptures when the ancient people of Israel felt a lot of these same, same things that we're talking about and that we feel today in our lives. And, and, and there's this moment where God kind of speaks into that conversation and begins to show them and ultimately us a better way. And so I wanna take you to this place in the book of Exodus chapter 20 and I wanna begin here with this conversation that God is having with these people. It begins in verse eight. God says this, he says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So what does all of that mean and why should we care? God is speaking to them and he's essentially saying this. This is his way of saying, look, one day a week ought to look different from the rest of the days of your week, right? You, you need to set aside one day every single week to stop and rest. And that might sound completely absurd to you 
And, and honestly, this conversation is one of those ones that we sort of like feel an immediate pushback, right? Well, that was fine for them. I mean, honestly, it was 3,500 years ago. Like, what did they have going on anyway? Like, but, but life, you know, in the 21st century, it isn't anything like that. You don't understand my business and the markets and whatever, right? Which is true. But, but the truth is, is like, even though there's difference, like, we actually don't feel nearly the tension or pushback that they would have felt when God said this. See, they had actually been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And, and it was honestly the only life that any of them had ever known. They worked, they worked hard, they worked around the clock, they worked seven days a week. And, and what they were told repeatedly and what they had come to believe was this, is that your purpose is found in what you produce and your worth is equal to how hard you work. Have you, have you ever felt like that? I, I certainly have. That, that the things that my life produces, like I literally don't have any worth unless I'm being productive. Like the point of my life is to make stuff happen, even, even if it's good stuff. Like I, I'm gonna produce and produce and produce and produce. And I'm gonna achieve and accumulate. And like, we're just driven. See, for them, a day off wasn't just hard to come by. It was actually life or death, right? If you're a slave and you can't produce, well, there's no reason for you to be around. There's no reason to keep you alive. And, and so the people of God actually cry out to God and he rescues them from slavery, which, is, which was miraculous and amazing, but it didn't actually solve everything because it turns out that freedom takes faith. And, and that's ultimately where we're actually going to spend a bunch of our time here in just a few minutes talking about this conversation because Ultimately, when it comes to rest, when it comes to time off, when it comes to actually stepping back from the grind and all, like this is actually a conversation that God's been having with humanity for like 4,000 years, but it takes faith to actually disengage a little bit, right? With freedom for the, the, the Israelites, right? With freedom came the weight of the responsibility of faith. And so some of them wanted to go back, as crazy as it sounds, some of them wanted to go back to to being slaves in Egypt. They just thought it would be easier for them. But God, God wasn't gonna let them go back to being slaves. And, and so without realizing it, when they couldn't go back to a life of slavery in Egypt, they just began recreating that life of slavery by the way that they lived in their freedom. And so they began living like their purpose was what they produced. Their worth was how hard they worked. And even though God had just done these incredible miracles and proven himself over and over and over again by providing for them, they acted like they were completely alone and completely on their own. And if they were to take a day off, that they would starve to death. And so that's when God steps in and interrupts and says, look, don't, don't live like this. You're, you're not slaves anymore. You don't actually have to toil for a cruel master. You've been redeemed and set free. And then he lays out for them this incredibly simple but incredibly practical plan where he says, remember to observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath will be a reminder to you that you are a human being, not a human doing. So the... the Old Testament, the Torah, what, what we consider the Old Testament, uh, or what we call the Old Testament, what was originally written in Hebrew, um, and, and the Hebrew word that gets translated there into English that we use um, as Sabbath, uh, it literally means to cease, to stop, to rest, 
It means to stop working, to stop wanting, to stop worrying. But, but that's, that's incredibly tough, right? right? Because we, we spend so much time on these three things. Right? These three things consume the majority of our life. We're either working on stuff, and when we're not working, we're thinking about the things that we want, so we need to work harder, right? Like, like we are handed this paradigm as kids that we work hard to get money to buy stuff, right? I want that thing, I'm gonna work hard to get money to buy stuff. And that's a great paradigm to teach children when they're young, right? To learn the value of hard work and the value of their time, and the value of money. But, but when we still grow up into, like with that paradigm as adults, like we get stuck in this idea that I want stuff, so I work hard to get money to buy stuff. And God's going, like, there's actually a better way to live your life, right? Think of how much time we spend uh, working on, uh, how much time and energy we spend on these three things, right? Wanting something more or different than we have, worrying about what we don't have or what they have or what's gonna happen or what, you know, uh, trying to uh, uh, adjust or account for every contingency. I mean, that, that's a huge chunk of our lives. And we're just supposed to, we're just supposed to what? Just stop, that's exactly what God tells, tells us to do. See, it, it's a reminder, the Sabbath is a reminder to us that the biggest burdens that are weighing on you are actually not up to you. That, that you are not what holds the universe together. God is. It's not on you to fix everything. It's not on you to fix everyone. It's on God. When we choose by faith to set aside a regular time to go, I'm gonna push out all the work and the worry and the wanting, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna cease, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna rest. It's us agreeing with God that he's God and we're not. When we refuse to embrace this reality, we live enslaved to our own anxieties and fears and pressures and depression. And, and like the ancient people of Israel, see, God doesn't just want to set you free from all of the brokenness and pain and all the things that were holding you back. He actually wants to show you how to live in that freedom. That's what this conversation is. So 1,500 years later, Jesus actually picks up on this theme and expanded on it when he began to teach. And I want you to listen to what he says and read it along with me. His friend Matthew recorded these words for us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. He says, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, but your heavenly father knows that you need them. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I, I love that last verse. I've read it a bazillion times and it hits me every time. Have you ever borrowed trouble from the future that you didn't need because you just didn't have a regular time of rest, right? Instead, you just kept pushing and cramming and just kept charging and you just kept going because tomorrow's coming and tomorrow's coming and tomorrow's coming. And Jesus is like, 
Don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. See, Jesus is saying, look, in your effort to get the most out of your life, don't lose control of your life. I mean, haven't we all known people who've done that, right? Our lives and our stories are littered with cautionary tales, right? People who are good people that had good families and good jobs and good hearts and good morals, right? Christians who loved God, but somewhere along the way, they lost themselves and they crashed and they burned. Why? Because they consistently pushed themselves beyond their limits, crossing lines and making sacrifices that ultimately one day they never intended to make. See, Jesus is saying, you're gonna be tempted to just keep pushing harder and harder and harder to believe that your value is in what you produce and what you accomplish and what you accumulate, but it's not. Don't do that. See, progress and prosperity, they're important. They matter. There's no way around it. They have value, but there's something more important. He's going, your soul is more important. Trusting God is more important. Don't trade your peace for a little extra prosperity or a little extra progress. It's not worth it. That's not a good trade. Don't live at your limits. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Intentionally give yourself some time to step away, to rest, to take a Sabbath every single week. And so Jesus actually identifies the main reason why we fall into this trap of constantly living at our limits. And he says that it's worry or more plainly fear, right? Fear is what drives us It's what pushes us to pursue and pursue and pursue and cram and cram and cram and multitask and charge harder and do more and charge harder and do more and do more and do more and do more. Fear of missing out, fear of falling behind, fear of our life not mattering. And so we say things like, if I don't blank, I'm afraid that, if I don't work seven days a week, I'm just afraid. Somebody else is going to get that spot. If I, don't, if I don't work all this overtime, my kids won't get into that school. If I don't, if I don't keep doing this thing, I'm afraid that, right? And, and we have a million reasons. In verse 32 of what we read, Jesus says, don't do that. He, said, he says something really telling. He says that the pagans live like this. Pagans live with no margin. Pagans are driven by fear. Now, a pagan, that wasn't an insult, right? He, it, it wasn't someone who didn't believe in a god. They, they believed in gods. It, it was someone who believed in pagan gods, but their gods were aloof and, disinterest, and disinterested in their lives. But he says, you don't have to do that. And then he tells us why. He says, because your heavenly father knows you and knows what you need. See, fear actually makes us look at life like it's a zero-sum game. Like we have to just get all we can while we can, and if we don't, we've missed it. And that's the view, right? That, that view of life actually causes us to look at people and to look at our circumstances and to look at life through the lens of scarcity. We, um, many of you know our son Kai, he's 10, and we adopted him when he was three from China, and and when we went to China, um, he didn't speak any English, and we didn't speak any Mandarin. And so um, Google Translate was a lot of fun. And, uh, and so after we got him and 
the best, the smartest thing, we didn't know we were doing it. We were doing something smart at the beginning, but we took our two oldest children with us uh, to adopt him, and, and that was great because he didn't want anything to do with us, but he, he loved them right away, and so that made the transition a lot easier. But um, we would go and, and eat in the evenings. Um, we were staying in like a Marriott hotel, and we would go up to the buffet, and, um, and, and he just, as a three-year-old, as food would sit on the table, he would just pull it to him and pull it to him and pull it to him, and he would get right down by the table and just be like, and he would just go, and just, I don't even know where he was putting it all, and he was just shoveling it in his mouth, and so I was trying to connect with him, like the, one of the first couple of nights we were there, and so, you know, I was playing with him, and I got down there like I was going to eat his food, and I'm like, nom, 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 nom. and he like, he like was shoveling, he just like looked at me and gave me the dirtiest look a, th- a three-year-old has ever given me, and then he raised his hand, like, go ahead and try it. I got you right now, Tubby. I'm going to slap you across the face. Like, boom. <laughs> like, I was just like, whoa. Like, but, but I began to notice, like, everything about his life, whether it was socks and shoes. Like, when we, we got home and he had all this stuff and he had his own room and he had clothes and socks. He, he put on all of his socks at one time and he wanted to wear them all the time. And he would never take his shoes off because he just thought if he took them off, like, it was this scarcity mentality. And he didn't know that he had a mom and a dad. He didn't know that he had a father who would do anything for him, that, he would, that we just would provide everything he needed. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting. It's like you're running around just trying to get all you can because you think that life is a zero, like you're living from a scarcity mentality, but your heavenly father loves you and he'll provide everything that you need. See, when we live by faith in relationship to God, we don't actually let that, we don't have to let fear drive us to our limits. We can live in that relationship and trust that he will provide for us and, and, and leave some space around the edges of our life. We can actually cease and stop and rest. We can, we can Sabbath. We can act like the work is done, even if it isn't. We can live knowing that efficiency and production are not God's highest goals for our lives, that freedom and relationship and joy that those are the highest values that God has as we live into relationship with him. It's this space that actually makes room in our lives to trust God, to have faith, and to allow God to work. In verse 33, Jesus gives us the antidote to fear that drives us to our limits, and, and he says that it's faith. It's faith that God can and will take care of us. In fact, this is the way he says it. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, what you and I give our attention to, that's the person that we become. Our choices, our passions, our pursuits, all flow out of our attention. Your life, my life, They're no more than the sum of what we've given our attention to in our lives. What you give your attention to is the person that you're going to become. Now, the other thing that I want you to see about what he says when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, as I want you to see is that God tells us what we're worth and how to live. But notice that the responsibility is, is that he places on this is on us, right? He says, Don't worry, but instead, 
you need to seek out God's kingdoms, God's kingdom and God's priorities, right? He's, he, in essence, he's going, only you can actually give yourself permission to rest. Only you actually can grant yourself permission to overachieve. Nobody can force you to do that. Only you can give yourself permission to pace yourself. Only you can give yourself permission to run at a pace that, that other people expect of you. you. You have to decide. It's your choice. Seek first his kingdom. Only you can decide to set a time regularly to rest and to give God your attention to seek his kingdom and his truth and his realities and his priorities and his values. And, and he tells us as counterintuitive as it is that when we do it, that our, that's when our needs are actually met. That's when our lives are the fullest. See, what, what the ancient people of Israel couldn't wrap their head around is how could our life be fuller if we worked six days than if we worked seven. If we can produce this much with six days, we can produce even more with seven. And God's going, trust me on this. Now, I have to be honest. Like, I don't want to admit this to you because, well, I want you to think that I'm better than I actually am. I want you to think that I'm more spiritual than I actually am. But I have struggled with this all of my life. I've, I've struggled with living at or near my limits at an unhealthy and unsustainable pace for many, many years in my adult life. But I'm learning to Sabbath. I'm learning to rest. I'm learning to cease, to stop, to trust God, and to celebrate all that he's given to me. How crazy is it for me to go, God, I will launch a church for you, but I don't trust that you are the one that's going to build it in a way. And so I'm going to have to work harder than you are. So I'm going to work seven days a week, and I'm not going to take any days off, and I'm going I'm to neglect my wife and my kids so that I can build this church. Isn't that crazy? See, when I say it out loud, it sounds ridiculous. But that sense that's inside of us that says, I am, my, the, my purpose in life is what I produce. The truth is, even if what you're producing is good, it can still sabotage your life and your soul and your family and your relationship with God. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, in the message translation, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn my unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What a beautiful way to live, right? It's the way that you and I were actually created to live. And Jesus offers us a life where we regularly experience the rest and the connection that our souls desperately need. So that we actually have the strength to tackle 
the mission and the work that he's created us to do. See, that's why God said to remember the Sabbath, to cease and to celebrate. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, to seek first his kingdom, to come to him, to learn how to do life. So that we actually could step into the work that he does have for us to do and bring all of the creativity and the passion and the energy that God has deposited into us to bear on that mission that he's given us to do. This is about regularly reorienting our life around who and what matters most. It's actually scheduling first what we actually say is first. It's taking a day of the week that, you know, and, and making that day the day that you, you know, that you live all the other days of your life, that you live from that day and for that day, right? So that, so that you get to that day and that this, the, the rest and the ceasing from the working and the wanting and the worrying, that something happens in you, that God rebuilds and recharges and refuels you, that you can do something in those next six days that you could never do without that rest. So, let me ask you this. What is the day every week that you have that you stop and you, re- you remind yourself that the world isn't re- sustained by the work that you do, but by the work that God does? W- what day do you refuse to work simply as a reminder that God made the world and not you? Because this is not, it's not a suggestion. It's kind of a, it's a command, right? If you know anything about that portion of scripture in Exodus, this is one of the 10 commandments, right? Which is kind of funny. God commanding us to set aside our anxiety and actually rest regularly. What an odd, like, don't you got to love a God that's like, first thing, take a day off, right? Like, in fact, the truth is when you go back to Genesis and you read the creation account, that God creates humanity, creates Adam and Eve. On the sixth day, it's the crown of his like, accomplishment of creation. And then he read, like the very first thing that humanity did was rest with God. It's the very first experience we had. God commanding us to set aside anxiety and rest regularly. is like, It's like commanding us to eat ice cream and to laugh more and to make out more, which I guess he kind of is. But here's the question. If this is the essence of what he's saying, why, why, doesn't, why doesn't everybody do this, right? Like, doesn't everybody want to have more time? Doesn't everybody want to have a little bit more peace and rest? The truth is, if we don't schedule it, it just slips right through the cracks. And we'll look up one day having gained the world, but having lost our soul. Because we lie to ourselves. We can just get through this season. This next season, I just need to grind. And that season ends. We can just get through, we can get through the spring and then into the summer. And it's like, well, the kids are home, so if we could just get through the summer and get into the fall, if we could get through the fall and it, 
And it's just lie after lie after lie that we tell ourselves. See, God said, remember to observe the Sabbath. He may, he may have said it the first time 3,500 years ago, but he's still saying it to us today. Why? Because it's, it's easy to forget. So this is my challenge to you, that you design your new normal to include a day of rest this year. If everything about life is getting pushed around and redone and redefined, if normal's never, you know, the normal we knew is never coming back, why not design our life in a better way, healthier way? Design your new normal to actually include the Sabbath. Whatever normal is going to look like for you going forward, choose a day to slow down, to cease to stop worrying and wanting and working, to celebrate the good that's in your life, to focus your life on what matters most and on who matters most, and then to actually do it. In trying to wrestle this stuff to the ground myself, I actually wrote this simple prayer that I've been using in my own life. This is the prayer that I've been praying on every Monday since we moved here. God, Today I'm choosing to slow down and rest and to focus my attention on you. I'm reminded that you are God and that I am not, and I know that life breaks me down and pulls me apart, pulls me apart in ways that I can't see and that I'm not aware of. I trust you to put me back together today in a way that will fuel me to do what you've called and created me to do for the next six days. Amen. Would you pray with me?